Hello, everyone. Welcome to Quantum Catechesis. I'm Father Joe Krupp, and you are not in today. Today, today is Thursday, August 17th, the year of our Lord, 2023. Here's the key. I just realized, like two days ago, the date is on the top of my computer. I don't have to guess anymore. Um, so I got that going for me. Um, I want to start off before I forget and give a huge thank you, uh, to Barbara Mayo, who wrote me just the most unbelievably lovely letter. Um, and, uh, thank you, Barbara, for your encouragement. And, uh, I'm very grateful, very, very grateful. And I hope you don't mind that I said your name. I didn't tell him what the email was about. I didn't tell him about you working as a Soviet spy in the eighties. Shoot. But all kidding aside, beautiful letter. Thank you so much. And thanks to uh, Terry. I don't even know if she listens to this show. But Terry L.S. sent me a boxer dog salt and pepper shaker. I don't know how to say that. Did I say it right? Do you know what I mean? Like it's a salt and pepper shaker that sits as if a boxer dog is sitting up holding them. Nice. Yes. And Jojo Likey. In fact, here's what just struck me. If that boxer was a dangerous killer, you could call it assault with a deadly weapon. No? Okay. I just want to ask, what's that? Pepper's the deadly weapon? No, the salt. The deadly weapon is the boxer that can kill someone. Oh, salt. Yes, see? That's why I had to add a boxer dog that kills people. Because there's a million of those, of course, if you count licking someone to death. Um, of course, a big shout out to Celtic Cove Catholic Bookstore in Oxford, Michigan, or as we say here, Oxford, and Michigan Church Supply in Mount Morris, Michigan. Buy your stuff local, right? Buy your books from bookstores. This is in the Gospel of John, chapter <coughs> verse 6. Uh, we're going to go to a heady and weird place today. Um, Carrie and her beloved and I were driving to Wisconsin last week. And as happens, I started talking, Mr. Sturder, right? Poor, you guys are going to heaven. And then at some point I realized, uh, I was like, oh my gosh, Carrie, I just talked to you about the history of Japan for 20 minutes without breathing. Like at no point, what stopped me is there was a hot dog place. And Carrie began shoving hot dogs in my mouth to make me quit. But all kidding aside, she did say, that was really interesting. And Carrie doesn't say things unless they're true. (laughs) So I took that and I've been ruminating. Isn't that a great word? Now, my first degree was Japanese history believe it or not. So I know an embarrassing amount of information here that has done me no good in life. Uh, Like when you go to seminary, the first question they ask you is not, wait, do you have a history degree in Japanese history? Can we talk about that for just one second? Yeah, sure. When you told your parents you were going to get a degree in Japanese did you they, know, I don't think we ever talked bit? about it. Okay. Like, it's just kind of funny. you got to remember, I was the last one. They were vaguely aware I was at college. 
you know, like, and, and truly in a way where I didn't feel, I know some people, oh, I was neglected. I was, I won. Uh, they just had better things to do than fret about that. Because here was the key. When you finish college, take care. Yeah, good luck. Um, but truly, there were jobs in it at the time. So you guys may remember late 80s, early 90s, GM started hiring efficiency experts from Japan. And Toyota at the time was offering a scholarship, which I was offered, to go to Japan for six months so that I could then serve as um, a kind of ambassador because it is a totally different culture. I, I can't even explain how radically different Japanese culture was uh, it's changing, right? TV changes everything. Um, you, you just can't. I mean, like, it, it's a stupid thing, okay? But you get a teacup and a saucer. So what do you do? You put the teacup on the saucer, yeah? They put it on the cup. It keeps the tea hot. And, like, one of the guys I was working with was like, it's so weird that you guys put it under the cup. What is it doing there? And I said, it's holding the cup. Otherwise, it would fall onto the ground. What's another one? Oh, like subtlety is everything in that culture. In our culture, it's just not. So if I'm sitting with a group of Japanese people, this is the example they gave us, in Japan, and somebody says, you know, I was thinking of this poem, uh, and they start talking about the poem. They're trying to tell you something, and it might be open a window. An American would say, and I would, hey, I'm, I'm hot. Can we open a window? They would never think to do that. Yeah? What's another thing? I, I'm just randomly picking stuff I remember. You leave food on your plate. Uh, if you eat it all, you've just told the person who prepared it they didn't make enough. Uh, just You can see there's a billion ways where they're the ex they're very opposite of us. Um, and I remember like Dr. Hanashiro at one point pointing out, he said, I just want to show you something. And it was car sales in the U.S., car sales in Japan. Okay. Now in Japan, they were buying a million different cars. There was no brand loyalty that stood out. All of them were white. Yeah, all of them. Like nobody bought a red car. That's obnoxious. Nobody bought a blue car. That's obnoxious. You buy a white car. Why? Here's the most quoted proverb in Japan. Now, my information's 30 years old. Ready? The most quoted proverb in Japan. You ready for this? Seriously. The nail that sticks up gets hammered down. Right? It is a culture where conformity is the ultimate virtue. Whereas in the U.S., it's the exact opposite. And please, one's not better than the other. It's just culture. Um, so we could go on and on. And, and obviously I will. But what, in the end, we're going to get to a discussion on the dropping of the atomic bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. 
and why? A few reasons. It seems to be on Americans' minds. And in fact, it happened in August, didn't it, Chuck? Did mm-hmm. I want to say it was August when the uh, name of the bomber was Enola Gay, right? And they dropped one bomb and three days later dropped another bomb. The 6th and 9th sixth and ninth of august the movie oppenheimer came out and one of the things uh so these are a couple things and then what i want us to look at i don't in the end my goal is not for you to go yep we should have dropped the bomb or nope that was the worst thing ever this is not my goal what my goal is is to get us to see that what we did was defendable morally it was and for no other reason than this, and I hate how I sound. I feel like old man yelling at cloud, okay? I'm amazed at how arrogantly and quickly we condemn that generation and the president for dropping the atomic bomb. Um, again, you could probably convince me we shouldn't have. Yeah, but before you or I blissfully Nance in and throw out our opinions, we probably should learn more. Uh, If you were not alive then, your opinion means less. Why? Because they had data, you don't. Uh, And a country that performs 2,900 abortions every day probably shouldn't flex their moralistic muscles too often. Yeah? Um, so as much as it might sound like I have strong opinions, I really don't on the issue of dropping the bomb. What I have strong opinions about is having strong opinions about it, right? When you have almost no knowledge of Japanese culture, the history of Japan, the history of the U.S. Um, so we're going to go through this. But for it to really make sense, something's down here and I'm touching it and I with my foot and I have to find out what it is. Hold on. I've been looking for this. I'm dead serious. That is so funny. Okay. Guys. <laughs> I've literally been looking for this since before we left for Wisconsin. And what seems clear, it was under my desk. But I took my shoes off. And, you know, me, I'm constantly moving. So my little feet, well, they're not little, hit something. And I'm like, what the hey is that? And I'm trying to feel it with my foot. And it's these things you put on the back of your phone. Oh, yeah. It's a magnet. Okay. Dear Lord. So here's the the thing. I'm going to try to, I'm not going to go too quick, but I'm I'm also not going to get too detailed. And I want to walk us through Japan's history. And I'm going to be speaking very generally. Uh, I don't have any notes in front of me because um, this is in my head. Uh, I, I've, I've read obscene amounts about it. Uh, yeah. Now, before we get into that, my sister Lori really nailed it for me. Um, when we were talking literally a half hour ago, like I, I, I was like, I don't really, I told her, I don't really have an intro for this. And I'm trying to figure out how to get people to think about it without just doing the bomb bad, no bomb good. Right? It, it, uh, and here's what she said. She said, Joe, we have a lot of, appro- uh, what was the word? Let me look. Approved decline. I, I love this image. She said, 
I think too often we all treat life like a banker. Uh, someone applies for a loan and we approve or we decline. Now, for a banker, that's appropriate. But for you and I, it turns out everything doesn't need our opinion. Everything doesn't need us to approve or decline. And I was telling her what's crazy, and I get so mad at myself for this, is I put up a post honoring uh, Miguel Cabrera, right? Dude, he had, another, he, had, he had a home run at 40. If your name's not Albert Pujols, you don't hit home runs at 40, right? I mean, that's just a fact. Um, and some of it was the pitcher really thought he could just sneak one by him. And it doesn't matter that he's 40. He's still one of the greatest hitters, right-handed hitters God ever made. And I put this up, and it, I, I'm shocked. It blew up. I don't know if you saw that. I had 12,000 uh, likes. I'm like, really? It wasn't that good of a post. It's just I love the dude. And then yesterday, the declines found me. I was like, Mickey sucks. You know, which, if that's your opinion, I, I say this with love, you're very stupid. You know, uh, <laughs> you can say, I don't like him. And I'm like, yeah, whatever, bro. You do you. Mickey sucks, you know? So this is where I get mad at me. I start getting on there and typing. I'm like, yeah, six, more people have walked on the moon than have hit 3,000 hits and 500 plus homers. Literally more people. And one human in all of history has done that and won the triple crown. And it just happens to be Miguel Cabrera. So you can say you don't like him. I don't care. And you say he's a bad dude. You're, you're wrong, but whatever. But to say he sucks, you know, like you should know baseball before you express opinions on it. And it's crazy, but it could work. And then somebody replied to me in a private message. They're like, you know what it is, right? They've only been watching baseball five years where he looks like a mortal. They're young. They just don't know. They never saw that 12-year run where he was the greatest hitter God made, not named Ted Williams, right? And I thought, gosh, that's right. But it all goes back to this idea that everything that happens, I need to approve or disprove, disapprove. And I thought, gosh, Lori, that's a great way to put it. That was from Lori. Dad just walked in. I said, Lori, yeah. So let's get after it. Um, how are people doing? Good. Okay. And I know this is weird. This is not our usual thing. Jesus isn't going to come up much, not till we get to the end. Um, and so if that bums you out, I'm so sorry. And I get it. All right. I, uh, but let's go there. So what we want to start with is what's probably one of the most important things you can know about Japan, that for most of its history, it was completely and totally isolated from the rest of the world. It's an island country that had China close by and they traded with China uh, but that's it. Um, and as a result, their culture evolved totally different than anybody else's. You just can't find a more geographically isolated nation. Um, and that's wild to think about. What did they do? Uh, well... We thought we knew, and we think we know, but here's the trouble, and a point we're going to hit later, Japan rewrote her own history for a very specific purpose. 
What we do know for sure is that uh, Japan was ruled by a series of warlords um, uh, that they uh, called daimyos, um, and that there was one guy, Nobunaga, who started this effort of, I'm going to get us all on the same page. It was really the first time uh, a warlord sought to start consuming other territories with the goal of all of Japan. Um, he did not succeed, but he came darn close. And one of his seconds, whatever, a guy named uh, Iyasu Tokugawa, uh, he did it. And uh, I, gosh, it's been a while. I think it was 1601. I think I'm right about this. At a place called the Battle of Sekigahara, Iyasu Tokugawa and a guy named Hideyoshi Toyotomi met in battle and the Tokugawa family won. And they began a reign over Japan that they called a bakufu, right? A tent government, a military government. And it was the longest running military government in the history of the world that we know of. They were ruled by a military class. And what's the thing that the Tokugawa did? Uh, they outlawed guns. Okay. The, the, what do you call those cats? The Dutch had been bringing up, I, can't, I forget what they're called, aquabus or something. It's a, can, can you check that out? Uh, aquabus? It's a kind of gun, like a flint rock gun. And the samurai used them. Right, the samurai used them. Like you, you, you were probably taught. Oh, the samurai never used guns. Oh, yes, they did. Uh, but Tokugawa recognized as long as we have these guns that we need to have imported, we're going to be dependent on other countries. So we're not going to use them. Um, and as things proceeded, uh, Christians started to pop up. Right, Akabas, something like that. Akabas, I, I don't know. The Dutch made them. They were big, inaccurate flint rock guns. Yeah, the shogunate. Well, that's what Tokugawa was. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. So shogun, uh, what's his butt? Uh, Tokugawa took the title shogun, right? Uh, meaning he's the chief daimyo. He's it. Okay. Um, he unified Japan and then kind of closed the borders. Christianity freaked him out. And Christianity freaked them out for a few reasons. They were, uh, Japanese were animists. Um, and all of a sudden, my brain stopped on their religion uh, of choice. It's still their number one uh, religion. But it's basically animism. Um, and like most, well, all paganism, really, until college kids reinvented it about 20 years ago, uh, there's no moral code. It's just honor the gods. That's it. Right? Uh, Shinto, sorry, that's the name of the religion. Um, Christianity brought with it this idea that there's things that are true of God and things that aren't true of God, and you strive to be right. Christianity also brought this idea that there is somebody above the emperor, and that was just about enough. Uh, so they made Christianity illegal and closed off their borders. Now, it's an oversimplification to say that. Uh, they were still trading with China. China didn't have Christians. China didn't have guns. Um, and in that sense, Japan evolved alone, for, again, for a very long time. Now, the Mongols tried to take them, 
But you know about this? This is crazy. The Mongols sent a huge army, and they had guns. Uh, they put them on big old boats and sent them across the uh, Sea of Japan with the intent of invading. And what was clear is the Japanese were going to get slaughtered, which they were comfortable with, right? <laughs> to die in battle? Well, thank you, Lord. And so if you can imagine this, all these ships preparing to dock in Japan, filled with Mongols with their bows, their arrows, and their, their guns, and their gunpowder. And there are the samurai with their katanas and their bows and arrows. Samurais were accomplished archers. Okay, extreme. In fact, history seems to indicate they were first archers, that they became swordmen later. What's up? Oh, look down? Okay, let me look. I don't have my glasses on. Okay. Yeah, Archibus. That's it. Archibus. Thank you, Carrie. Um, thank you. That was going to drive me nuts. That was the gun. So uh, what were they going to do? Well, they prayed. <laughs> and they waited. And what happened? Something called, in Japanese, kamikaze. Kamikaze. Divine wind, right? Kami is uh, divine. Kasi is wind. A storm kicked up and sunk all the boats. They never got there. <laughs> and the Japanese were like, yeah, we like that. Uh, and in fact, cool stuff. Nat Geo was funding a whole thing to dive into the Sea of Japan and find those Mongolian ships because they were probably loaded with gold. Hmm. Right. But anyway. So Japan stayed isolated. Even the Mongols, right, who conquered everybody, were like, mm, right? it's just an island. Leave them alone. And then the Brits found them. Yeah, a guy named Admiral Perry sailed into uh, the harbor in Japan with guns. And now he kind of forced open the door to Japan. Japan had a gun to her head and was told, you are joining Western society. And this is where it gets fascinating okay if you ask me are people doing all right yeah okay what no it's stupid isn't it no, no? okay somebody just said why did kamikaze pilots wear helmets <laughs> yeah uh that was because of fema uh it was a fema regulation you know i guess the same reason they do autopsies after executions you know what i mean yeah. it's like what killed him the thing you just killed him with that's what killed him uh Sorry. No, I get you. What do you say? And uh, I think it was Dennis Miller who pointed out the swab before they give you the lethal injection. They put rubbing alcohol yeah. on your, and it's like, no, no, it's okay. I can get you. Can, I can get an infection. Rusty, uh, yeah. yeah, I don't. We do weird stuff. I don't know if they wore helmets actually, but actually, I doubt if they did. They're an incredibly practical people. Yeah, but um, what were we talking about? Oh, so this is where it gets crazy. Because what was going to happen to Japan is what happened to everyone not named Japan already. Colonialization. Europeans were going to come in, obliterate your culture, take your stuff, and then when you strip the land dry, they're going to leave. And the Japanese saw this pattern happening all over. And they became one of only three countries in history to successfully 
fight off colonialization. Right? This is crazy. And how did they do it? Well, they gathered, I think it was 12. There were 12 leaders who came together and said, we need a plan. We need a plan to resist colonialization without fighting. Because if we fight, we lose. They have these things called cannons, right? They have these things called Gatling guns. We have bows and arrows and very sharp swords. And we haven't had to fight for a very long time. The Tokugawa's brought peace. I should have got into that too. No, I think it, going back now would be confusing. Okay. No, I think I have to. Yes. I'm so sorry. Okay. One of the things that happened, of course, is how did Iyasu Tokugawa unite Japan? Uh, by killing his enemies. And how did he do it? By having the best soldiers. And how did he do that? By raising them from birth to be warriors who craved to die in battle. Right? That's what they dreamed of. These are an Asian version of Spartans, quite literally. From youth, you take that boy away and you brutalize him. You make him as hard as you can. And you teach him only warfare. Only warfare. Not art. Well, that'll come. Well, of course, once you conquer everybody, you still got all these dudes who need to fight. And there's no one to fight. And Japan did a brilliant thing, right? The leaders in Japan, different uh, members of the family, they said, no, no, the fight is for virtue. Now the fight is fidelity. Take all that iron in your soul and point it toward always doing the right thing. And what is the right thing? Serve the emperor. Okay. So when these European ships arrived, you had a nation of warriors, but who were now bureaucrats. Right? They, they were, in a sense, reduced to bureaucrats. Did they have non-bureaucrats? Of course. But non-bureaucrat samurai, which means servant in Japanese, and bureaucratic samurai, either way, they're not going to do well against Gatling guns and cannons. This is not. So what do you do? So this group of 12 men said, here's what we're going to do. They sent envoys all over the known world with a simple goal. Find out which country has the best army. They came up with Germany. Find out which country is the best at production. The U.S. Find out which country is the best at education. England. They found each one and then they copied them. So they went to Germany. They found a, a, a Prussian uh, general who was retired. And they said, we will give you whatever you want. Make us a German army here in Japan. So he did. They went over to America. They bought industrialists. Teach us how to be industrialists. They, on a dime, completely shifted their culture. You're not going to make us imitate you. We're going to be better at you than you are at being you. And within 10 years, and I was reading Dad some of this the other day, you have this German soldier writing back to Germany and going, oh my, they learn fast 
and they are as good as any army we've encountered. They didn't have guns 10 years ago. Now they're experts with guns. Uh, Dan Carlin, who wrote a phenomenal thing on Japan, he had the greatest line about Japan I've ever heard. Ready? He said, just think of it this way. The Japanese are like everybody else, only more so. <laughs> right? They're like everybody else, only more so. You're a great warrior. We'll be better. Right? We can't innovate to save our lives, but we can copy and do it better than you. And that's what they did. They created a phenomenal focused education system. They created a phenomenal mass production machine, by the way, with no natural resources. Look at Japan. They don't have oil. They don't have coal. They don't have anything. And they created a first-rate army and perfectly, completely resisted efforts at colonialization. It's Guys, it's insane. Nobody has done it before. Nobody's done it since. The only other country that I can remember, there's three. Uh, the other one is Siam, right? I forget what we call it now. Myanmar, right? Myanmar. And how did they do it? Well, nobody could get in there, right? The, the Brits tried and they were like, yeah, that's a lot of jungle. We're going to go home, right? But for Japan and her leaders, this was a planned, a well-executed plan to become like the colonizers without becoming the colonizers, without becoming the colonized. Is this making sense? Yes. Oh, great. Okay, because honestly, it's super hard to explain. They figured out some other things. One, colonialization is the key. We will not be colonized but we will colonize. We will go find places to colonize. But to do so, we need to be the best. We're not as big as England. We're not as big as the US. We're not as big as Germany. We don't have any of these resources. So our resource is our people. We will make our people the finest people. And that way, we can go be colonizers like everybody else. Okay. How are we doing? Good. Okay. So they fixed things a little in the educational system. <laughs> they fixed history a bit. And this is where we're not totally sure anymore what exactly was true of the samurai life and what wasn't. Because by the time the government finished writing the curriculum for the schools, all the kids knew is your ancestors were obedient to the point of death to their superiors. Yeah, that's what they knew. Uh, that every Japanese man, woman, and child for all of history was ready to die for the glory of the emperor. And this was pounded into their heads from their first day at school. Um, the education system rewrote history to indoctrinate generations of Japanese kids into this idea, we are the leanest, hardest people God made. And our defining trait is a radical fidelity to Japan and the emperor. Okay? And it worked, as you can imagine. That same thing that compelled the Germans to go, wow is what compelled everybody to look at their education and say, wow, 
It's the same thing, right? They went all in and they knew this is the only way to save our people. Now, you can disagree. No, I think there were other ways. Sure, they didn't see one and they didn't take one, which is probably the more important thing. In a short span of time, Japan became freakishly powerful. And I don't mean like where the U.S. was worried or, or Britain was worried or Germany. Not at all. They just weren't ready for anybody to jump up that quick and to so perfectly uh, resist colonialization. Um, one of the other things I read to dad was one of the German soldiers who was over there training them talking about, he told the story. We went to train them, and this is a little tough to hear, folks, okay? And I, I, I'm sorry. But he was training them to bayonet, right? So he did what you do in Germany. You put up a post, you hand sandbags on it, you hang the sandbags on it, and you tell them, okay, stick here and turn, right? That's the key to a bayonet. Puncture them and turn it. So he says, there we are. We got the whole field set up. First day of bayonet training. They brought out prisoners, and the soldier was like, oh, no, 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 no. We got sandbags. We got, we got the sandbags, guys. We, there's sandbags right here. And then it was explained to him, well, will they be puncturing sandbags in battle? No. Okay, see, we got prisoners. Uh, and that way, when it's actually time to do the killing, they'll be used to it. That was the thinking. Isn't that? And you think, how do you get there? Dude, they were an island. They were separated from everybody for hundreds of years. And as much as people rip on Christianity, it gives you a moral compass. Like, don't do that. Right? Don't do that. What? Well, they're prisoners. And we need practice. Think about that. Oh, sis. So, are, are people, uh, can you tell, like, are people happy? Are pe okay, I always feel insecure when we're not doing Jesus stuff. Oh, we got a question? Oh, <clears throat> uh, what is the time frame at this point? We're in the 1800s. Okay, we're in the 1800s. Uh, can FJK speak Japanese? Hi. That means yes. Uh, no, I know historical words. You know, bakufu, uh, daimyo, uh, hi. I know uh, yeah, you know, actually, this is funny. Dad knows, and I'm dead serious, more Japanese than I do. Uh, he lived over there for a while for the army. And he can tell a taxi driver to turn left, to turn right, to speed up. Uh, he can say all kinds of cool stuff, uh, which is really funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where were we? Do you remember? Oh, okay. So, and again, guys, I'm doing like a super general sweep. We could do a lot here. Uh, so where is Japan going to colonize now? She's built up a culture, an army, an education system that's just generating more uh, programmed kids. Forgive my candor. And I don't mean that pejoratively, okay? I just, they had a goal, they hit their goal. Um, they're cranking out, and by the way, they're paying people to have a lot of kids. 
which is always the key in these type of societies. It's how the Romans did so well. If you had kids, they didn't tax you near as much. Why? We're going to need some meat for the grinder. Forgive me, you know, again, forgive me, but it's... So where does Japan look? Uh, China. China was being colonized. China was being ripped to little pieces by all the European powers trying to strip it away, trying to take all their resources, right, all this stuff. So, in fact, at this point in history, um, well, anyway, la, la. So uh, I could go on and on about this, but here's what you need to know. If you look up uh, on Google uh, the Sino-Japanese War, when Japan went after China, there was a universal consensus that Japan was screwed, that they had made a grave miscalculation. China was huge. China had 10 times the military. This was going to be bad, and it was bad. But it was bad because there was never a point where Japan wasn't winning the war. They marched in there and they obliterated the Chinese army. It wasn't close. Uh, the Japanese lost in that war about 4,500 soldiers. The Chinese lost in excess of 50,000. This was a butt kicking to end all butt kicking. Excuse my bluntness again. This is when your Western powers went, oh, <laughs> right? This is when those letters I was reading dad from these, these German troops are like, no, you don't understand. This is, this is crazy how good they are at all this, how detailed they are, how relentless they are in practicing and in drilling. Um, who was the biggest superpower in the area now that they wiped out China? Well, Russia, right? Look at your map. And Russia was massive and powerful. They mixed it up with Russia. And that is, oh my gosh, the Russo-Japanese War. Japanese obliterated them. I mean, wiped them out. And if they were shocked about China, they were more shocked about Russia. And Russia was so ticked off and shocked that they sent their Eastern or Western fleet around, meaning left the Baltic Sea, went all the way around. We're going to go teach those Japanese a lesson. And they did. They taught the Japanese how to sink Russian boats. The Japanese absolutely wiped them out. And now she's got fertile lands. She's got this stretch that they, they named Manchuria. And she's got some dreams and hopes, Japan does. Um, Japan is now a superpower by any rational standard. And the only thing that kept everybody from calling them a superpower was blatant racism. And I, I'm not being funny. Uh, there is no historian I've read who would disagree with me on this. Uh, even the Brits were nervous. And it's hard to explain how powerful the Brits were at this point in history. World War I, how are we? On time. Okay. So, 
Yeah. Fifty. Okay. Um, now we're going to jump to World War One. Oh, before we do. When Japan whooped Russia, the U.S. brokered the peace agreement. Teddy Roosevelt did and got the Nobel Peace Prize for it. Right? I want to be really clear about something. Japan was not happy with that peace agreement. It looked more like the peace agreement between two countries that slugged it out rather than two countries where one completely, totally dominated the other. And again, you go back to racism. And in Japan, when the terms of the treaty were announced, people rioted. Um, people poured into the streets. They burned stuff down. They were furious. Uh, because the only thing they could look at is go, they're not taking us serious. Right? We are colonizers just like they are. And they're treating us like a third-rate nation. You have, during this time, the beginning, come Holy Spirit, the beginning manifestations of what they called government by assassination in Japan. Um, and it's just what it sounds like, right? Your general tells you to do something you don't think is in the best interest of Japan. <laughs> well, then we kill him and we get a new general. And what kind of general is he? The one who says, yeah, go take more stuff. Um, now, nobody's going to touch the emperor. That's been pounded into their skulls. But here's the thing. Japanese law at this time was really ambiguous about it. Wait, is the parliament in charge? Or is the emperor in charge? It was intentionally ambivalent. Oh, well... We assume it was intentionally ambivalent because it's not like the Japanese people at this time in history to be comfortable with ambivalence, right? So if there's ambivalence, the assumption is they picked it that way. Why? Well, what if the emperor doesn't want to do what we should do? Yeah? Well, what if the parliament doesn't want to do what the emperor says we should do? You need it ambivalent. Uh, but part of the negative symptoms of that is... Well, then so people started killing folks who were making decisions they didn't like and doing it in the name of the emperor. I'm defending the emperor's honor, you jackwagon. Right. So Japan learned something about herself when the settlement after the Russo-Japanese War happened. Namely, okay, uh, you can ride the tiger, but you do fall off sometimes and get hurt. Right, we, We've got these folks desperately in love with the emperor, desperately in love with Japan. But the lack of clarity as to who's actually running things began to lead to government by assassination. And politicians who want to stay alive tended to keep shifting opinions so they didn't get killed. Okay, how are we doing? Good. This is the government... That gets involved in World War One. And quick primer on World War One. Yeah. A um sorry, uh gosh, I'm shifting gears and my brain is still in Japan. Isn't that funny? Uh what's his name? Archduke Ferdinand was assassinated in Serbia. 
uh, as a part of an uprising to get Serbia free of the uh, hung Hungary. Uh, oh, man, you guys, my brain is still in Japan. Austria-Hungarian Empire. Okay, so Austria. Hungary are like, well, we got to go down there and kill everybody now and reassert our control. And Germany has an agreement with them. So Germany says, okay, we'll help. Well, in the meantime, you have this huge thing called Russia, who considers herself, quote, the defender of the Slavs, who's like, oh, I'm sorry. We're not letting you kill Slavs. Right? So what happens at this point? Right now, it's not a world war. Well, Germany realizes this france is going to come to the aid of the slavs russia's going to come to the aid of the slavs that's two fronts so here's what we'll do it's going to take the russians 10 weeks to mobilize and send troops we have 10 weeks to take out france so what does germany do well they stop at belgium and say, hey, we need to cut through. We won't take anything. We won't touch your stuff. But we got to get to uh, France. And Belgium was like, yeah, sure. You just got to fight us for it. And the war starts. Germany um, found out what everybody was about to find out. It turns out machine guns change the way you should do battle. Yeah? You don't charge positions anymore. The First World War was a shock to the military leaders all over the world. This is our first war with what you and I would call modern weapons. And nobody's tactics were really that ready. And the Germans, in the invasion of Belgium, and I might be wrong on this number, but I'm close, lost a million people and killed a million people. That's just Belgium. As a result of the Germans realizing we can't stay in this fight. We've got to take France quick so that we can jump over to the other side and fight the Russians. They decided the most merciful and best thing to do was to be horrific. Make people terrified to fight us so we don't have to stack the bodies on both sides. And so they committed atrocities. The, now, Britain at this point was tempted to side with Germany. And this is hilarious. Almost for no other reason than France was siding against them. And that's quite literally true. The German atrocities forced the Brits to side with the French against the Germans, World War I. Okay? That's as quick as I can do it. Japan joined with the U.S. and Britain and France in fighting the Austria-Hungarians and the Germans. Okay. And, and the Russians, of course, joined it. What did Japan do? Because they're way the heck over in the Pacific. Well, they went, we'll take care of everything on this side of the globe. And they did. They took every German territory over there. And it wasn't a small amount. It was a ton of Pacific islands, right? Like, so if you talk to uh, Samoans, Right, and you find out about their beer. Did I tell you about this? No. It's all German beer. Really? Yeah, because Germans colonized them. Hmm. And it's hysterical. Like they have, you talk to Lay about what beer they have in Fiji. It's all German beer. Why? Well, the Germans got here. 
right? And classic Germans, they didn't bring religion. They brought beer. Uh, right? You got to leave it to the Dutch and the French and the English to bring religion. The Germans are just like, hey, happy to be here. We're going to build a thing called a brewery. Yeah. Japan took all of them and took that part of the German economy out of the equation. So World War I ends and Japan's on the winning side. And she sits down at the table with all the white leaders, right? England, France, the U.S., Russia, and they treated the Japanese like crap. They attempted, the Japanese attempted, like in the post-World War I settlement, they attempted uh, to get them all to agree, and it's not the words they used. This is the, it's just the way we talk now is different. Basically, we are equal. Yes, we're not white. We're not European, but we are your equals. President Woodrow Wilson not only rejected it, he laughed at them. And when the Japanese left World War I, here's what they had. Pretty big chunk of China. Pretty big, yeah, big for Japan. They had a chunk of Eastern, Western, I always screw this up, Eastern Russia. They had all the islands that the Germans used to have. And they're hurt and offended. In a culture where giving offense is considered a grave grave thing it's why they never say no right saying no means you lose face you say yes and just don't do it um it is a culture where this concept you may have heard of it have you guys heard of this of saving face that's what the japanese call it it saves you from making your reputation's everything so it drove American businessmen nuts in the 80s when they're negotiating with Japanese and they're agreeing to everything and not doing it. But the Japanese were trying to save face for them. We don't want to embarrass you. Uh, it's just a different way of thinking. But so it's post-World War I. Japan's done everything right by the standards of the day. And the Europeans are still treating them like crap. Uh, and treating them as less than. And what Japan walks away with was, we've got to take respect, okay? We will make you respect us. And if we can't get you to respect us by working with you, we've got other ideas. So I think that's a good spot to leave off, yeah? Because <clears throat> I'm going to have to read some more to get us ready for World War II. There's a lot of stats and a lot of numbers that I think you'll find interesting slash shocking. Uh, to help us contextualize World War II. Um, so that'll end us for today, okay? Um, I hope you found this interesting. Uh, I hope you remember, I did. there's no notes here. <laughs> That's what's in my head. I'm 95% confident everything I said to you is correct uh, in a general sense. Um, when we get to World War II, I guess that's next week, isn't it? Because tomorrow's question and answer. Okay, I'll, we're going to, it'll probably take us the whole thing to do World War II and the decision to drop the bomb, but it's important. Um, and uh, that's it. 
Okay. So uh, tomorrow is our question and answer session, and I'm excited about that. We do, I'm looking, we have some questions. Oh, wow. No, we have a lot of questions. Okay. But don't, yeah, please don't hesitate to send more. I never know. Sometimes I answer questions quick. Sometimes I'm slow. Uh, Carrie always fixates on me, on death. And I'm like, Carrie, that's not funny. That's not entertaining. Um, so there we go. All right. I'll pray. And then I'll see you beautiful people tomorrow. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, you are a God who expresses yourself through remarkable diversity, be it our cultures or our skin color or our languages, whatever it is, it's all a reflection of you, and it's so beautiful. Today, we ask your forgiveness for the crimes our people have committed in the name of getting wealthier and more powerful. We ask forgiveness for racism, for barbarity, everything, Lord Jesus. We want to be better. We do. And we ask, Lord, that we humble ourselves, all of us. And remember, our opinion is not required on everything. We neither need to approve nor disapprove things about which our knowledge is minimal. What we do need is to be holy, so help us be holy. In all the countries now, Lord, where there is violence and war, please, please, come to the rescue and the slaughter and the barbarity. Help us to live in peace and enjoy mutual prosperity. Heavenly Father, you know the people in our lives that we love very much and that we worry about. And you know all the circumstances in our lives that cause us to fret. And we give all of it to you, Lord, because we love you and we trust you. And may Almighty God bless you all, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Kung Fu is strong. I'll see you beautiful people tomorrow. And until then, peas are my gift to you. Not as the world gives peas, do I give them.